Hi everybody, welcome to this episode of the Heart Podcast. My name is James Rudd. I'm the digital media editor here at Heart. Today we're talking about 24-hour ECGs, ambulatory monitoring, and I'm joined by repeat guest on the podcast, friend of the podcast, Professor Mark Dayal from Vancouver in British Columbia. Mark and his team have conducted a systematic review and meta-analysis of 24-hour ECGs in healthy people to try to establish a normal population range of abnormalities across different age groups. I hope you enjoy the podcast and please feel free to leave us a review and spread the podcast through social media. It really does help us reach new listeners. Thanks for your time. So maybe we can start off, Mark, by you introducing yourself for the heart audience, who you are and where you work. Yeah, so I'm Mark DL. I am a um, electrophysiologist and cardiologist at St. Paul's Hospital in Vancouver, Canada at the University of British Columbia. And I have um, predominantly academic practice in electrophysiology. Um, and I have a special interest in ventricular arrhythmias in PVCs, which kind of got me into this area, which is um, ambulatory monitoring, as I do a lot of ambulatory monitoring as part of my clinical practice to monitor patients with PVCs. And you've recently published a paper all about this aspect in HEART, which is called Establishing Reference Ranges for Ambulatory ECG Parameters and Meta-Analysis. Can you tell me a bit about the motivation for the research, Mark? Yeah, I think it stems, it stemmed all the way back to when we were training. Um, I'm always, you know, anybody who goes into electrophysiology is obviously fascinated by the ECG first and foremost. But I was always shocked when I went through training that there was no standardization of reporting of Holter monitoring and ambulatory monitoring. And to this day, there's actually no guidelines to say what's normal and what's abnormal, which is in sharp contrast to ECGs where we have you know, huge databases, both adult and pediatric, that tell us what normal reference ranges and normal findings are. So that's really the initial motivation. And that was followed up by my interest in PVCs and really, um, you know, people often ask what the, the question, what is normal and abnormal? We simply don't have an answer. And so that motivated the systematic review. And so I guess the idea is to try to come up with a normal range for variation, if you like, within the 24-hour ECG. Exactly. And, and that'll help not only, you know, research, which I'm interested in, but also just clinical interpretation. I find a lot of things get flagged as abnormal that are clearly probably within the normal range. Mm, absolutely. So how did you go about addressing this question, trying to trying to define a normal range with this test? Yeah, so we we basically did a systematic review. And obviously, there's not a lot of um, systematic reviews of what a reference range has been. And this is the, only the second and only the real first systematic review. And so what we did is we looked at studies that had reported on Holter monitor values. And then we, we accumulated those and we tried to exclude a lot of the um, studies that were in non-healthy populations. A lot of the listeners might be aware of big studies like the Copenhagen Holter monitor study, but those were really in a general population. They weren't healthy patients. And so we were looking only at healthy patients and then trying to look at the prevalence uh, in that population of certain findings on the Holter monitor, like PVCs or PACs. And then we uh, meta-analyzed these to get an idea of what the real population reference range would be for certain values. 
And so you did your best to exclude anybody with either heart disease or significant risk factors for heart disease in, in the uh, systematic review, yeah? Yes, because that's been a big limitation of, of really some of the previous cohort studies is they had a lot of undiagnosed you know, smoking, hypertension, heart disease uh, in some of the cohorts. And what kind of participants made up the studies that you included in your review? Uh, I remember reading about maybe medical students, people uh, undergoing company medicals, that kind of thing. Yeah, you're absolutely right. The um, you know some quite a few of them were actually part of companies where they had health screening as part of a company, or they had um, uh, local clubs um, were you know leisure clubs, jogging clubs were part of it. Although we did exclude performance athletes because those uh, those patients can definitely have very abnormal findings mm. on. During monitoring, so we excluded any um, athletic cohorts. Um, there is no real population cohorts. Most of these were smaller cohorts from a single practice or multiple practices, or um, or work cohorts like retired hospital workers. So that was the um, sort of the spectrum of patients that we found. And how did you try and exclude those people with heart disease that might have sneaked in otherwise? So most of the so the most common way they were excluded in all the studies was definitely a history and physical examination was performed in almost every um, in almost every study. There was a few that went on to do um, some blood work. Uh, ECG was pretty common as a way to exclude patients with obvious abnormalities. And then occasionally people also had things like an echocardiogram, but that was less common. So mostly it was history, physical, blood work, and ECG. And so how many studies eventually did you end up including in the meta-analysis and, and how many patients uh, in the total? Yeah, so for the absolute total, we um, it kind of depends on each parameter, obviously, was not reported in every study. Right. And so um, uh, from that perspective, we had... Um, we had to sort of pick and choose, but overall there was a fair number of studies, but they were relatively small. Um, and so I'm just sorry, I'm trying to get, we found 926 articles initially, and these were whittled down. Okay. And then we came down to 33 studies, 6,500 patients. Okay. Included in the final, in the final meta-analysis. And can you maybe tell us some results for each of the, the measures of interest, if you have the, uh, the paper in front of you? Yeah. So we first looked at um, sinus pauses and conduction abnormalities. And I think this gives, I think the data, even though the data is somewhat limited, this gives us a pretty clear answer. And so when you look at sinus pauses over two seconds, that's actually relatively common across age groups. And another component of the study is we actually s separated the studies based on the age group that they reported on. So a lot of our reference ranges have come from very young patients, but that's probably not appropriate when we're, you're doing a Holter monitor on an 80-year-old patient. So we actually separated by age groups. But for all of the age groups, sinus pauses of over two seconds was relatively common. Mm. But if you push that out to three seconds, which is more commonly the reported sinus pause or pause between complexes, that was very uncommon. So that seems to be a pretty robust finding. So. Um, less than 1% of the population had a sinus pause of greater than three seconds in any age group. And that's how you defined it as abnormal, is it with a, a 1% um, uh, rate of finding on normal patients, roughly? Yeah, for this article we did, because of the mm -hmm. limitations of the data, we didn't go with the traditional sort of 95% um, or you know the, the 
typical laboratory values would be reported as the nine, central 95% range. Yeah. But we thought for this, we would go to one, uh, the 99th percent, just because of the, some uncertainties in the data and the relatively small studies. So less than 1% of the population would have pauses of greater than three seconds on a Holter monitor in any age group. And what about conduction disease, first degree AV block, second degree AV block? So we didn't have enough data to look at second degree type one. And obviously second degree type two is kind of a guaranteed abnormal. So um, yeah. we didn't include that in the meta-analysis. Um, and first degree AV block seemed to have a bit of a U-shaped distribution where it was relatively common in younger patients, less than 40 years old, became less common between 40 and 60, where it was actually less than 1% of the population, but then became more common above 60 years old. And so um, my hunch is that if in larger studies, we'd probably show that first degree V-block um, is probably reasonably common across all age groups, but it did seem to have a U-shaped distribution um, how about the next category of uh, interest? So SVE frequency. Yeah, so there's been a lot of interest in supraventricular topics and the risk of developing atrial fibrillation or stroke. Uh, and so we took a look at that. And so one of the challenges we found was that, you know, every study reported different values or different cutoffs. But we did find a few cutoffs and we t looked at 500 ectopics over 24 hours or greater than a thousand supraventricular topics over 24 hours. And this is where we found that um, in the younger age group, um, that you, the proportion of patients with a lot of supraventricular activity over 500 was relatively low. And this was the same for greater than a thousand. So younger patients, less than 40, it was pretty uncommon to have a lot of supraventricular ectopy. Okay. As soon as you move into the 40 to 60-year-olds, it was relatively common. About 6% of the population had more than 500 ectopics, but it was very uncommon to have over 1,000. However, as you moved up above 60, it became more and more common to have over 1,000. There was very few data in patients over 80, however. So over 1,000 might be a normal finding in patients who are over um, 60 years old. And the next category in your table four, which I would recommend listeners go and have a look at because it, it nicely summarizes the findings of the paper. You talk about any SVT. Mm -hmm. Can you explain a bit more what you mean by that? Yeah, so this is any run of three beats or more. Okay. And uh, unfortunately, there wasn't enough granularity in the data and the studies that have been published to say how many runs you, sh you can accept, what the length of runs was, but any SVT was a, could be a normal finding across all age groups. So in virtually every age group, um, there was a, a prevalence of SVT, and it ranged from about 3% in those less than 40 all the way up to about 33% in those over 60. So any SVT uh, is certainly an expected finding. And obviously, we need to do more research to define how much SVT is normal and how many runs, how long can those runs be. But we couldn't determine that from the existing data. And how about something that I know is very close to your own research interests, uh, the frequency of SVCs or ventricular ectopics? Yeah, so ventricular ectopy sort of had a similar um, increase over uh, as the age groups went up. And so in the younger age group, again, it was pretty uncommon to have only 1% of the population had over 500 ventricular ectopics in 24 hours. And so in the younger population, there's certainly less ventricular ectopics. As soon as you go about from 40 to 60 years old, about 2% of the population had over 500 ectopics in 24 hours. 
And commonly, this was used as a, a cutoff for defining abnormal. Um, but if you move the bar up to 1,000 ventricular topics in 24 hours, then only 1% of the patient population between 40 and 60 had that. However, as you move above 60 years old, it becomes a bit blurrier. And in our study, we showed that 5% of the population above 60 years old would have greater than 1,000 ventricular topics in 24 hours. So this may be um, you know, within a, the range of normal. And, and therefore, defining the upper limit of ventricular topics above 60 years old is, is something we still need to do. And how about non-sustained VT itself? Is that always abnormal or, or can it be sometimes normal? It's almost always abnormal, but above 60 years old, it does seem to creep up. So we show that between 0 and 1% of patients less than 60 will have any non-sustained VT. So it's relatively abnormal. This is three or more beats in a row. Mm -hmm. However, um, as you move above 60, about 2% of the population could have non-sustained VT. So it doesn't always necessarily mean abnormal, um, but it but it certainly is, is an uncommon finding across the literature. And, and putting these results into context, you talk in the paper about the difference between a medical decision limit versus a population normal range. Can you explain or expand a bit by what you mean on that? Yeah, and this is a, a concept that that I think many physicians haven't thought a lot about. But almost every laboratory value will have a population range. So you look at the central 95% for any lab finding, like a hemoglobin, and that's been determined from healthy volunteers. And so we have a nice distribution around hemoglobin. The same thing can be done for Holter monitor values. And so you can take a population range, take healthy individuals and find out what's the range of normal. And that's what we did in this paper. We took healthy patients or studies that included healthy patients, and we're simply looking at the population distribution of a finding, like sinus pauses, and, and determining what's the sort of 99th percentile or cutoff for that. Okay. This is in contrast to medical decision limits, and those are much harder to, to determine. So say, for example, there might be a limit of uh, ventricular ectopy above which you have a higher risk of developing heart failure or ventricular tachycardia. Those are much harder to determine. And take, for example, um, troponin. We've had troponin for how many years? Yet we still don't have a medical decision limit for troponin. We simply have population distributions. Um, even though we act on, on troponins, we still don't have a medical decision limit, at which point we know that troponins, uh, you know, this level of troponin is very bad. And so the first step in determining an abnormal, um, or what is normal and abnormal in Holter monitoring is to simply know what the variation is in the normal population, and that's the population distribution. And that's what you've done in this in this paper. Yeah. Would the you next say look at prognosis and saying, if you have this, do I go on to develop that? Okay, got you. Would you say there are any limitations, Mark, in the meta-analysis that you've done? Yeah, certainly. I think that the, you know, we did the best we could with the available data. But one of the things that we highlighted is that even though I've given you a, the table four with the summaries, we still have work to do. And I think, you know, given the sheer volume of ambulatory monitoring that's going on now and in the future, we really need to do to design some better and larger studies to really nail down what the true normals and abnormal or the true normal ranges can be. We could only take a peek at this with the with the current study and certain things like runs of SVT and runs of non-sustained VT need to be better studied.
And could you maybe summarize just in a couple of sentences a few takeaway messages for the audience? Yeah, so I think number one, um, when you're reporting a Holter monitor, age is important. And what might be normal in a 40-year-old might be very different in an 80-year-old. And so it's important to take age into account. And unfortunately, none of the automated programs will do this for you, unlike an ECG program. Mm -hmm. The second thing is that certainly sinus pauses over three seconds should be reported as abnormal. The second thing is in terms of supraventricular ectopy, then in the younger, less than 40-year-olds, probably 500 ectopy over 24 hours is the upper limit of normal, after which you should report it as abnormal. But we don't know what the upper limit should be for those over 60. And similarly for ventricular ectopy, it's about the same. So for those who are less than 40 years old, probably over 524 hours is abnormal. But greater than 1,024 hours can be normal in those over 60. So when we're reporting Holter monitors, we probably have to have to be a little more cognizant that someone who might have 2,000 PVCs in 24 hours, um, it may be normal, may be abnormal. Brilliant. Well, that's a really nice summary to finish with, Mark. And uh, once again, many thanks for joining us on the Heart Podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you.